is episode 116 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Caroline Akervik. Caroline has always been a voracious reader of most any genre. Blessed with a wonderful husband and three amazing grown children, Caroline grew up fox hunting in the Maryland countryside and then rode and trained to the Grand Prix level of dressage. Now, a school librarian, she remains an animal lover and believes that libraries are among the most magical of places. Her writings reflect the eclectic nature of her life and reading taste, and her books include sweet romances, horse stories, and even science fiction. Caroline seeks to write from the heart, to transport her readers, and to give wings to their imaginations. Settle up for a conversation about what it's like to compete at the Grand Prix level in dressage, horses as works of art, and how we can do right by our aging horses. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I have guest Caroline Ackervik on the show with me. Hi, Caroline. Welcome. Hi, Carly. Good to be here. I am excited to have you. We're going to talk about horse books. We're going to talk about writing about horses, and I'm very excited to talk to you because you have competed uh, through the Grand Prix level of dressage. So you've got probably some great stories to share with listeners today. But as listeners know, and if you're new to the show, welcome, how I always love to kick these conversations off with is asking the most important question, how have horses touched your life, Caroline? <laughs> uh, well, to be honest, I think I started riding almost before I could walk. I know my mother rode through fully through her pregnancy with me. Mm-hmm. And within six months, I think we were on ponies and lead line classes and things like that. So we, I grew up on a horse farm. We grew up with horses, we trained horses, we competed horses until I was in my mid-30s. So horses were always just fundamental to to our lives. Mm, Lucky girl. I mean, I can't imagine how many people wish they had come out of the womb sitting on a horse (laughs) and growing up on a horse. That's amazing. And you shared with me and you sent over some really incredible pictures that I'll include in your show notes of you with your competition horses. Talk to us about how competing or, or achieving the Grand Prix level of dressage was, or how, how did, is that a family, also a family oh, yeah. practice? Yeah. My mom was national championship, uh, national champion at the Grand Prix level on her horse, New Lady Killer. And she was also on the world championship team and she was the first uh, U.S. rep to the World Cup. So, yes, grew up with horses. But to be honest, uh, she grew up with fox hunters and show jumpers, as did I. Um, we grew up fox hunting in the Maryland countryside, and uh, it was just ponies for fun. We rode all day. My sister and I went out on our ponies and rode through the cornfields to the farmer's dismay. And uh, that's mm-hmm. what we did. We jumped the coops. We did what, you know, we just grew up around the horses. Uh, at about 12 or 13, switched over to dressage 
And uh, the reason it switched over to dressage just was because that's what was around us. Those were the horses that we had. And um, also at that point, we'd taken some tumbles. Both of us had, my sister and I. And so switched over to dressage, which is very different in terms of a discipline from, you know, growing up pony clubbing and fox hunting. And, but you, you love horses. So it really doesn't matter how, what you're riding, what the discipline is. It's just being with the horse. And what's, what's really awesome about riding is that relationship that you have with the horse, that moment kind of when you like blend with them, when you're like part of them. And so it really doesn't matter. It didn't matter to me so much what sport I was doing. So when I was about 15 or 16, uh, there were the North American Young Rider Championships. And so we got into showing FEI pretty young and uh, we had moved to Florida. So we were showing on the Florida circuit. And I think at 16 or 17, uh, we started showing in the North American Young Rider Championships. And one of my favorite memories was showing for Region 3 in Montreal because it was just, if as a rider, it's not really so much a team sport. It's very much an individual sport. So having that experience of riding with friends and competing with friends and representing your country was a really big deal for us. We mm -hmm. had an awesome time. And also it was in Montreal, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So that was neat. But then continued to compete and show horses because that was our business. And uh, there was a young stallion who uh, we had. His name was Banjo. And we'd had him from the time he was three. He was Dutch Warmblood. And, you know, there's certain horses in your life with whom you have a very special connection. And from the time this stallion arrived, we had a special connection. And so actually he was the horse that I showed uh, through Grand Prix. I showed several horses Grand Prix, but he was the horse I was long listed with. And uh, he was uh, the horse, you know, they're, they're, they're like landmark horses or horses that are so much a part of you that you can just close your eyes and imagine how it feels to sit on them. Mm -hmm. And that was Banjo for me. So is that too much? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. Actually, I feel like you were reading my mind because I was going to ask, like, what what are some of your favorite memories in the special horse that you that you had done done this work with? So yep. you actually answered my follow on questions. That's that's so lovely. And what is so interesting now is, of course, you're an author of course yep. books, but. As I was galloping around your website looking, you know, for information to build your interview questions, I thought this was really amazing. You are now a librarian and a writer. Yes. Talk to us about how you chose this path after <laughs> after having, you know, been so successful in the in the horse world and the competitive horse world. You know, I think you can't ever really leave horses. They're a part of you, mm -hmm. you know. And so uh, I'll be completely honest. Actually, the book that I want to talk about today is My Golden Horse, but there's an accident, a horse accident uh, involving a rider in, in the book. Mm -hmm. And um, to be honest, I did I did have a, a, a unfortunate accident. And at that point, my mother had gotten older because we worked together. We ran the stables together. Yeah, I got dragged and kicked. And anyway, unfortunate side of the horse, horse world. But uh, at that point, my husband and I discussed it. And uh, breaking training young horses is a young person's business and competing FEI horses. Yes, that has longevity and making good choices in the horses you ride that ensures your longevity. But I'd always been passionate about reading and writing. And I realized I wanted to, what I enjoy about riding is the relationship with the horse, not so much the competing and training. And so I, I would, you know, to this day, I still enjoy riding. I enjoy my relationship with the horse, but I, at that point, I wanted to make a kind of a career change. Mm -hmm. And both horses and writing were both really equally important to me. And then as a librarian, how, how does that 
you know, obviously your horse knowledge certainly helps with the writing of yep. the books, but how does being a librarian impact uh, how you write or, or kind of the, the path you've chosen with your books? So I'm a voracious reader. I read anything and everything. I'm not, you know, I think most writers are. Is that mm-hmm. the case with you as well? You just, yeah. 100%. I have stacks of books everywhere. <laughs> if, like if you could see behind my chair, I have a stack of books almost to the bottom of this. this exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I grew up on the Walter Farley books, Marguerite mm-hmm. Henry, you know, and I also liked Victoria Holt novels. So to be t- perfectly honest, when I started writing, I started writing romance because mm-hmm. that was an easier way to get into the publishing field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had these stories, these horse stories that I'd always wanted to write. And what I've done with my horse stories is there's, they're actually inspired by a real, real horse. They're fictional stories, entirely fictional stories, but they're inspired by a horse who was important to me. Mm-hmm. And so I felt, you know, like any sport horse competition or like when you watch a horse perform or watch them run a race, it's like an ephemeral work of art. It's something that's fleeting. And even if you watch it on film later, you can't capture what it was. I mean, it's it's the moment of being there, watching it. I remember watching the World Championships in Stockholm and I'm watching the Grand Prix and I can't remember, it was a Swedish woman she was showing and I can't remember the stallion's name. And it just took your breath away. And I remember watching the video of it later and it's not the same. It's horses, you know, it's, it's just this, it's their fleeting works of art. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to kind of capture, I, I felt I owed it to these horses to capture them a little bit in what I was writing. So being a librarian, I I love children. I like working with kids. I've taught a lot of kids. I like uh, both riding and other things, but it allowed me to combine my two passions really. So, and as I've written more and more, cause I think I have, I have only two horse books out but I have like 12 books out at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's allowed me to shape my craft a little bit to learn more about um, writing and, and how I want to write and share these horses' stories, if that makes any sense. That makes absolute sense. And and being a writer, you have to read voraciously in yes. order to develop your voice, your craft. And and I've noticed, and a couple other authors I've spoken with on the show, once you've written a book, you read a little differently. <laughs> you still are lost in the story, but you're also looking at punctuation or framing or or kind of the flow or how you know what the outline might have been for the story do you find that's that's the case for you oh, as well? oh absolutely and like when I encounter an author where I'm just just blown away by the writing I do sit back and say wow I, you know I don't have that I wish I did <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I wish I did yeah. I wish I did so w- let's start talking about your horse books so I wrote under a pen name originally mm. I wrote under a pen name and so it's Isabel Kane and I wrote uh, romance novels because I didn't feel like I could do justice to the stories, the horror stories I wanted to tell. And mm-hmm. I wanted to work on my writing skills. Mm-hmm. So those got published. And then I started writing. Uh, actually, my sister asked me to write uh, science fiction with her, which I did. That was kind of an interesting experience. And then I wrote some middle grade and young adult fiction because I'm a curious person. I get interested in the topic mm-hmm. and it kind of takes me that way. And then I wrote my first horse story, which is a, a horse named Viking. And it's about a, a Grand Prix dressage horse. And I felt like what was unique about that story was I could really put pieces of my life into it and my own experiences. I mean, I can actually describe how what a pirouette feels like, what one tempies feel like, you know, it, it, it felt it was. And, and when I finished writing it, the first draft, I remember I read through it again and I cried at the end. And that was important to me because I felt like um, I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve. 
And so then the second the second book of this trilogy, which is My Golden Horse, which came out in August, I, I was going for a similar thing. Different characters, the only unifying threads are the horses, essentially. I'm not, I don't believe every animal story should be sad. My mother always made us watch every sad animal movie or <laughs> read every sad. I don't want it to be that way. I think animal stories can be hopeful too. They don't need to all end in a death. And I struggle with that. So I don't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, our ability to connect with animals is really unique and compelling. And, and it should be deeply emotional when we read those stories. And, and this is why I believe that, that horse women, horse men, people who know horses, I love it when they're writing books about horses because, the, you know, that feel, that you, if you've never had that feeling, if you've never sat on a horse, if you've in, in, particularly a pirouette, like to be able to capture that feel through writing because you have known it, I think that's why horse books written by horse people really are top notch because they know what they're talking about, you know, rather than the wrong tack mixed up or, you know, like the, I don't know, there, you know, people who don't I know, know exactly what you're talking about. Actually, this is really sad. My husband and I are watching Gunsmoke. He's, he loves old Westerns. We're watching mm-hmm. Gunsmoke. I can't even watch some of the people ride. It's so bad. You just cringe. You're like, oh, that poor horse. You know what I mean? And so, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's really, um, you can tell when someone's an equestrian when mm-hmm. you read their writing because they can really describe it. You know, they can really, they know what it feels like, what it looks like, what it smells like, you know, mm-hmm. they know what, what it's like. And that's the magic. And I'm so yep. glad that you that you've tapped into that and written books with that feel that's so special. It makes my makes my everything happy. Um, so we need to get a tribe of us like pushing forward in, into the, you know, the visual space so we can like have like real movies for horse people because yes, I, I'm the exactly. same way. Like I watch, I watch things and I'm just like, oh my goodness, like yeah. halters on backwards and you know, all, all sorts of crazy things. So yeah, that's wonderful. And I, I love how you said you were, you were practicing writing stories, which were published and you were working with, you know, romance books and in a, to enable you to truly tell the stories of your heart, which involved the horses. That's lovely. And, and that's how we do get stronger. We practice, we write, we, you know, we just keep trying things and then, then we can really do a great job with what's like on our hearts. So that's, that's really special. And how do you approach writing your stories like do you outline do you start with the message you want to deliver you know what like do the characters just come to you or do you have to think through that like what's what's kind of your process for getting the stories out well I'm a little embarrassed to answer this question because (laughs) to be honest I I you know I'm in writers groups I speak with many other authors and oh yeah they outline it they have these elaborate outlines where they lay things out and they cut things up and they're taping things down and they have full character sketches no <laughs> i'm a seat of their pants kind of writer you know so to be honest i start with the horse and the message you know the the story of the horse like what what was special because I, I think the horse kind of springs to life fully developed in my mind because usually it's inspired by a real horse and then i think about how do i want to communicate this horse's story and that the rest of it kind of grows around that does that make sense Absolutely. and to be honest my first draft's a complete mess because mm-hmm. it's literally sitting down and throwing sand into the sandbox i'm not building castles you know i mean i'm literally throwing sand into the sandbox so i've tried to be more structured and disciplined and well, I, I am disciplined it's just I try to be more structured. That's not how I flow. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I sit down and I write a lot of garbage and then I just delete a lot of garbage because the story comes out as I write. Yeah. No, how about I, you? What's, what's your style? I am the same way. Like generally I know, I know my beginning and I know my end and I maybe know like a peak in the middle, but I'm not an outliner. I am, I'm by the seat of the pants like you are. And, but, but I find that as long as I touch it every day and I sit down and I keep moving forward and I kind of have the, here's where I'm starting. Here's where I want to get. And sort of, I know what kind of message I want. I, I can, I get there. Right. And, but as long as I touch it every day, like my subconscious is working on it when I'm not. So then I'll find, I have to sit down really quick and write in a journal, an idea that just popped up for where I'm going to go tomorrow. So it's I almost totally like, agree. yeah, it's almost like I write and then what's going to come next comes to me, you know, throughout the day. And then I sit down the next day and I, I just kind of take whatever I wrote down in that journal. And that becomes like the next chapter getting me to the point that I want to get to. Yeah. And I've, I'm like you too. I've tried the structured yes. outlining and it just, it, and I think as writers, it's a creative endeavor. We all have different systems and processes that, that work for us. But, but for me, it's sort of like, it's almost like I'm not the one that's writing the story. It's like coming through me and then it eventually becomes a book because, you know, I've written four books in the, in the rain series. I didn't, before I started writing, I didn't map where all four books were going to go. It's like, I finished one book and then I'm like, whoop, this character still has some things to say. This is what's going to happen in book two. And then the same thing happened. And so I love hearing that other people kind of have that. And a lot of us have that similar way of, of just going for it rather than outlining the, we pants it and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> but so. what you said about touching it every day to keep it, that's the trick. That's mm. the magic. Cause if you don't, then it slips away. And then when you sit down to work on it again, you're like, Oh God, where am I even starting? Where is this going? I can't remember my character's names, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> what country are we in? You know? So like I, I struggle with that. And then, yeah, it's the discipline every day. And I think you're, the way you describe your subconscious mind working on it is a hundred percent right. Cause that kind of just, the, just the, the steady discipline of thinking about it allows the story to grow in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that resonated. Yeah. It's, it's hard to touch it every day. It's, and and yes. that's where the discipline comes in. It really does, you know, and then, and then it, it keeps it alive. And my first drafts are a lot to work with also, you know, so, so it, it but, but there's lots of authors like, big time famous authors that say, you know, don't be afraid to write a crummy first draft, just write. Because that's the biggest hurdle to get over is sitting down in front of the computer and staring at a blank page. But I find that's where I have the most resistance. But when I finally sit down, even if I don't know what I'm doing, it just starts coming out of me. And I'm like, why do I resist this so much? You know, do you have that same experience? Oh, gosh, the hardest part is sitting down to write. You can always think of other things you have to be doing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, and there are always people who have needs or wants or, Mm. you know, so it's really easy to come up with reasons why, hey, you know what, it's a holiday weekend. I really don't need to write right now. You know, I could give myself a break. It's like my diet breaks. They're they're really successful and productive, right? <laughs> yeah. But then when we start doing it, it's actually enjoyable and fun. And it's like this, this elevation to another level. And it's like, why? Why do I resist this? But because it, it's scary. 
it really, you know, it can be scary, but it's also so fulfilling. So I don't know. I it's, do think it's kind of like riding sometimes though. Like, you know, you very, okay. Think about the times when you really are kind of like one with a horse and that's few and far between, right? Like mm -hmm. you have those moments when you all are like functioning as one being. And that's, those are really the magical moments of riding. Writing's kind of the same when it becomes kind of just like this outpouring rather than, oh, forced, what does this person say next? And they're just brief flashes, maybe like once in a three month period, you have that half hour where you're just rocking it. You know, mm -hmm. the story's coming out. It's kind of that it's, it's being able to lose yourself in the story. So I do think it's kind of a similar, you know, cognitive experience. Totally. And the similarity too, is sometimes for us, for, for people who are blessed to have horses, you know, I have a million other things I have to do. Do I have time to fit in a ride? And then you go out and you ride, you oh. ride and you're like, why did you, know, why, why do I resist it? I, I have access to these beautiful animals in a beautiful place, thinking of all the other things I should be doing it. Just get in the saddle. It's like yep. kind of the same thing, you know? It's exactly. Like, yeah. That's so interesting. I, I love, I love having these kind of conversations. <laughs> okay. So in your books, are the characters as important as the horses, but the horses just play like a, a main role in your trilogy? How do yeah. you, okay. So it's like a story and then, but the horses are just as, as the same with me, the characters, the human characters are as important as the horse characters in my stories. Is that the same for you? I think so. Okay. So my first horse story I did what's real and honest in the horse world, which is horses pass in and out of people's lives, mm. but that's not how things should go in books. And that is some criticism that I received afterwards that people wanted closure with some of the characters. But the reality is with sport horses or with any kind of horses, they do tend to move through people's lives, different people's lives at different times. And, and I thought that was being honest to the story. I think that uh, with, with my second book, I realized that with my second of my horse stories. And I wanted, I wanted just to keep the same characters throughout most of the story. The third book of the trilogy, which I'm working on now, I think, because really, you know, my experience with horses is you, horses are with certain people at certain times in their lives because that's the right place for them to be. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, when Grand Prix horses become old, they don't necessarily like their competitive rider riding them because they physically can't do what they could once do. And so they prefer to teach. I know this sounds like you're going to think I'm totally goofy hearing this, but like old, old schoolmasters, old show jumpers, they tend to go better for younger, less experienced riders when they're kind of past their prime because the more uh, sophisticated riders will want them to feel the way they had when they were younger. Does that make sense? That makes tons of sense. Yeah. And absolutely. so, and so I also think, and you're, <laughs> you're going to think I'm goofy, but, uh, really well-trained, uh, you know, upper level horses like to teach many of them like to teach mm -hmm. and having that ability to share what they know. And I know I'm anthropomorphizing a lot, but yes, schoolmasters do like to teach. Some do. Then I think, it's the right thing for those schoolmasters to go to the younger riders, the newer mm -hmm. riders or the less advanced riders. So, mm -hmm. so that was, that's something that I struggled with because, because sometimes it is the right time to say goodbye to a horse mm -hmm. for him to be him or her to be with a different rider. And so just because that's been, I mean, we bought and sold horses for years and that's, that was the business and that's what you know. And, and maybe a different 
family or a different rider is the right rider for that horse. You know, so that's that's hard to tell in a story, though, because I don't think people who grow up with horses who don't grow up with horses really understand that. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and, that, and that's a very interesting thing that you touched on there, too. It's like as writers, there's like structures to satisfy yes. readers and we have to yes. think of them. But then when you're telling the truth of the matter and you're telling the story that's on your heart and your 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 audience may be more obviously uh, advanced equestrians, right? You yep. ha- you're telling the truth here. So there, there's yep. like different kinds of stories. There's like the stories you're setting up to fill a need, to fit into a genre, to follow tropes. But then there's your heart stories, which are authentic in the truth. And those those have just as much importance, but those sometimes don't fit the natural rhythm of yep. expectations, if, yep. if you know what I'm saying. And, and there, I think there's space for both. But I, I definitely, I'm glad you brought that up and I hear what you're saying. And then the it really resonates with me what you were saying, the, the older advanced horses as they're, they're you know, aging out of being able to do the competition and the high level moves and be with an advanced rider. I'm having that experience right now with my, I mean, it's a quarter horse, right? But, but my mare that I've had for 18 years is highly trained. Like everything is spur command and seat and, you know, just feel I can ride her bridal bridalist. Oh, wow. But as she's getting older, when I ride her, I've, the horse that we bought, I thought was going to be for my husband, but what has happened is my mare is training my husband to ride her rather than me, the advanced rider. And I'm riding the horse that we bought for him and developing a partnership with her because she's not as advanced. And I'm finding that my older mare really likes to work with my husband because he's not as advanced as I am. And she takes really great care of him. And, and I, I try, like, I can trust her, like our nieces come and they ride her and they can ride her by themselves. And I'm like, okay, I understand now. Like she has gotten to the place where she's, she can take care of people. I can trust her. I can still enjoy riding her, but, but she isn't necessarily, she's older, right? She's like 20. She's not able to kind of do what we used to do together. So I, that really resonated with me. Thank you for sharing that. They have, they have a dignity Mm -hmm. and a pride, like horses who have been trained to that, to any, you know, to a high level, who've worked at a very sophisticated level with a rider, Mm -hmm. they have a dignity. And when they know when they can't quite do what they could do with you before. Yeah. And that's, it's, it's a hard time. I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard time. And, um, you know, and then it's the right time to find them a different ride. I mean, you have to find them a good home, the right rider, you know, mm-hmm. but I remember watching, getting pictures of um, my Grand Prix horse who uh, went to another rider when he was 18 and he was teaching her and she was showing him, uh, I think. Oh my like gosh, second- we're both going to start crying oh, here. Uh, like- <laughs> no, this is terrible. She was showing him second level. Now this horse had shown nationally all over the East Coast, all over, you know, he'd, it was a Grand Prix horse. Literally, he knew, you know, where to stop at X. Oh. You know, he knew when you turn right, because most dressage tests, you turn right and it's an extended trot across diagonal. He, I mean, the, the horse knew everything, like, and he would memorize the test. And I remember seeing, she sent me pictures. Now, she had never shown second level. So this was like huge. She'd gone from training level to second level. And she sent me pictures and she sent me the video. And he was in a snaffle bridle. I hadn't, I mean, we rode him in a snaffle all the time, but I hadn't seen him show in a snaffle bridle. And literally, you could see him counting his way through. I mean, she's hanging on for dear life, but he's, he's carrying her through the test, doing all the movements and his ears were up and he looked so happy. Aww. And, and I, ha- I wasn't sure until I saw that. And it was like, 
uh, it was the right thing because you know he he was in the right he even counted the steps back i mean every every halt perfectly square you know i mean it was just like literally and and she she throws down the reins after the halt and just hugging his neck and, and i thought you know what that was that was the right thing for him and it was one of the hardest things letting him go at that point but it it was the right thing so that is that is wonderful. I'm and sorry. I, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, no. <laughs> I know I am like so I am moved right now. And I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. But, you know, it is hard. You know, we fall yeah. in love with these animals. And, you know, I, I get a little jealous sometimes. I'm like, oh, totally. My husband's riding my my girl. I, I got her here, you know, but but then I give it up and I'm like, she's taking good care of him. Now we can ride together. But, yeah, it, it's a it's a hard transition. But then just just thinking what's right for them is such yeah. an important conversation. And I, I love that that we started talking about that. Thank you for sharing that. That's oh, sure. really important and special. Now, steering a little bit back towards writing, I, you know, you have you have 12 published books, you're moving into write, giving your horse stories, you're all talk to us about you know, do you prefer independent publishing or traditional publishing? What has been your experience okay. with getting these books into the world so far? Okay, so I started out with, um, well, with my romance novels. It was traditional publishers, small publishing mm-hmm. house, um, and then I went with again. I, I kind of had transitioned into young adult middle grade, so I then went with again an, an indie small print publisher, mm-hmm. and I've had good experience was with them. There are some larger horse publishing companies to which I had submitted some of my works, and to be honest, I had to change at that point in this, when I was writing the horse stories, there were real people who I had mentioned by name and I had to change those. So going with independent non-horse publishers worked better for me from that point of view. It made me rewrite the story and rethink it and make them fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to do that, but also it gave me more uh, freedom with what I was writing. As you know, the publishing industry is consolidated into really large publishing houses, some indie, and a lot of people are doing very well with self-publishing now. And I think mm-hmm. actually that's a good trend because mm-hmm. um, I think the the huge mega publishing houses are too restrictive to new authors. I've had positive experiences with most of the publishing houses I've dealt with, so... That's really, that's really good. And, and, and you touched, you know, you hit the nail on the head right there with the, you know, the publishing industry is changing. There's a lot more options and, and, and you can, you can go your own route. You can work with an indie publisher. You can strive to work with one of the big publishers. I think the most important thing to know is you have choices, but but make wise choices, do your research, understand like any, any contracts you might get into, understand your rights, uh, you know, talk to other authors before you make your decisions. And but there's no one way to do it. There's a lot of opportunity, and I love that because more creativity is is getting through the gateway yes. now. And it yes. and it's and and we can own more of our intellectual property rather yes. than you know just giving it away because now there's so much opportunity. Once you write a book, it can become an auto audio book. It can become film and tv it can be it, you can do so many different things with it but you want to own that intellectual po- property and not sign it away and, so. and actually that was a mistake I, I mean i think all of us have made mistakes in publishing mm-hmm. and i did have some i mean with certain agents not positive experiences mm-hmm. and with uh certain publishing houses i lost rights on certain stories i mean you make you make lots of mistakes as you go through this process right now, I, I like the people I'm working with. It's mm-hmm. a good fit. And it is because it's a very competitive uh, field. 
And there are many avenues. You have to be willing to put in your own effort in terms of marketing and things like that. That is important, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think that if we just rely on the really large traditional publishing houses, we're going to lose a lot of really excellent new voices. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, and the thing is, is they're in the business to make money, right? Yep. So if there's a trend, they're just looking for trends you know, yep. there, there might be one bright spot that comes up that's different from everything else out there. But, you know, when Twilight was huge, what was, what were they looking for? <laughs> Vampire <laughs> stories, right? <laughs> yes. So there's trends in those big conglomerates, you know, whereas with us, you know, they're for us writing about horses, this is a trend for us. And, and now because we have we're putting books out because we can, we're reaching the right audience. We're in a niche, you know, we're taking, you know, so there's like so much possibility now rather than being blocked out. Yes. That's great. Well, the other thing that's been striking to me is you do hear from people. Like I hear Mm -hmm. from, you know, when you put a book out there, I, to be honest, I've heard from people who I hadn't heard from trainers and riders in 30 years, you know, and that meant a lot to me, you know, and, and hearing from people who maybe I didn't know who had similar, similar relationships or experiences with horses. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that resonates with me that, you know, people yeah. have those experiences. Yeah. yeah. That, that means so much. I mean, the relationships that you can create through your words and people who reach out and say, yeah, this resonates with me or just the partnerships like here, you and I getting to know each other. I mean, I, there's, there's so much possibility uh, from putting, being brave enough to put your words into the world and and keep at it and sit in the seat every day. <laughs> yep. uh, that and that being said, how are you reaching the readers of your horse books? Like, how are you getting the word out about about your books? Uh, obviously, being here today is yes. is one way, but how else um, are you reaching them? Well, uh, to be honest. I was very well connected in the horse world, in the mm-hmm. dressage world many years ago. I'd also written some articles for like uh, Practical Horseman, Chronicle of the Horse. You know, I'd, I'd started with writing articles. So yes, that was my my initial approach. Uh, bloggers, you know, influencers, that's people like you, you know, people who are willing to go out there and put podcasts. People, uh, I love podcasts. I'm a junkie, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. And so, I mean, that's what I do when I'm cleaning my house or doing oh, dishes yeah. or cooking, you know, I mean, that's, that's what it is. So I think there are all these neat ways to hear good stories and hear from people and hear about their experiences now. So mm-hmm. I think you just have to embrace the trends. And I think that's, you know, there are some really great opportunities like this one out and available now. So. Yeah. And it's like you said, you have to kind of dig in and see what the opportunities are. And you ha- you don't have to do everything. Yep. Just do the things that you feel comfortable doing. Like you're an excellent podcast guest. You're well-spoken. You, you, your thoughts are very organized. It's just a very, very nice conversation. Uh, and, but you know, not everybody's comfortable doing a podcast. So for, for, for them, there's other avenues, right? Like oh, for, yeah. me, for me, I love doing the podcast. I really like making videos. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> so that's like a big part of my marketing, but there's, there's all sorts of different things to try. And it's like you said, with publishing, like as an author, you're going to make mistakes, yep. <laughs> but just try it anyway. And, you know, ugh, I didn't like doing that, or I don't like that channel, or I did a podcast interview, I'm not comfortable, you know, and, and then also now that we can getting out and meeting people is like, or, uh, you oh, know, yeah. again, like doing book events or going to conferences and talking to other authors is, is, you know, a great way to kind of get the word out as well, you know, so. So I'll be honest here. Uh, my, my children feel strongly. I need to try TikTok. That's so far out of my comfort. (laughs) (laughs) So I had done book trailers for some of my earlier books and I don't know. I, I, have you tried book trailers? I mean, how do you feel about it? I, 
I like, I see, like I said, I like making videos. So I make my, I make my own book trailers. Like I love picking the music and I love picking the imagery. And I, you know, I, I use uh, the person who does my audiobooks to create like the book trailer narration. Okay. I use her voice. So, so I like, I like it just because I like making them, you know, it's like, like a mini movie. Now, you know, it's one piece of the puzzle. Does it sell a ton of books? I'm not really sure, but it gives me a great piece of content to work with, you oh, know, yeah. social media. And then it, like with the TikTok stuff, like for me, <laughs> I've kind of thrown up the brakes. I know it's a, it's a really cool platform. A lot of authors are having success there, but I already have a lot of platforms. Do I really oh, yeah. want to add another one? Do I have the time to add another platform? You know, if I were to add TikTok, am I going to take something else that I'm doing that's been successful away. I mean, that's the thing. You can get so many things going that you're not paying attention to any of them. And then, or, or it's so just, true. you know, it's out there floating. So, so I'm, tr- I try to be careful about choosing what I do. And then when I create a piece of content, I try to repurpose that not the same post on every channel, but like repurpose it with a different angle for Instagram, a different angle for Facebook, a little bit of a different angle for Twitter, you know? So it's, I don't know. It's like, you gotta be careful because I like to, I like to say the author career is like, you start out with a piece of chewed gum. And then by the time you're done, you have a giant wad of a bunch of pieces of chewed gum. And you're like, I I could never unwind this. I could never untangle this. It's like this big ball of chewed gum. And you just keep adding pieces to it as you grow as an author. And then all of a sudden you have this thing. So, you know, before you add another piece of chewed gum, consider, do you have the time for that piece of chewed gum? (laughs) See, I have to go. I I totally agree. You have to pick your, you pick your, your avenues. Mm -hmm. Um, I do know that I need to become more visually oriented. Okay. Mm. And it's one of the reasons I struggle with reading graphic novels because, you know, at my age, honestly, we didn't, we had comic books, we didn't have graphic novels and like the visual verbal piece combined is a little more challenging for me to process, Mm. much less create. Uh, I know I I just have to get out of my dinosaur mind and be more (laughs) open to being visual. (laughs) But like when I think TikTok, I'm like, my God, what am I going to put on a TikTok? (laughs) How ridiculous will I look? (laughs) <laughs> you well, you what you what you should do is you should have have one of your your children run it for you and well, like have have them yeah. sync it up and like have you know you want me on TikTok okay you manage the channel what do you want me to do and then go out and do these like that's the great thing with having younger people around you know it's like oh, this is true go run this for me you know I'll yeah, get, do this go with it I'll get Here. on it you be you be my channel manager yeah, <laughs> exactly because exactly. they'll probably know what's working better you know better anyway so that's oh yeah other approach you know get to, get a channel manager um and then try and that's, that's the other thing you can try it if you don't like it you can just remove your account and move on, you know? So it's, it, I don't think it ever hurts to try anything, but just think about what do you like? That's kind of how I approach it. What do I like doing and what do I not so much like doing? And then the other thing too, is you don't have to overkill it. Like I'm I'm not one of those people that posts three times a day on Instagram and, you know, twice on Facebook or once a day on Facebook. I post when I have something I authentically want to say, or something I, you know, want to share or, you know, new product coming, you know, I'm just myself. So it's like, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves too to create all this content. I like to try and just run with authenticity. Do I feel good about this? Do I want to share this? Or am I doing it because I feel like I have to, you take the have to out of it, it becomes a lot more enjoyable. Well, I think that's something I could learn from you. Thank you for sharing that. That's very, very helpful. Because I view 
promoting as kind of a have to. Mm -hmm. I have to get to see it as I want to and as an opportunity. So that's that's actually a very refreshing viewpoint. Oh, cool. I'm glad that resonated. Yeah, that I, I just had felt so much pressure at the beginning. And I'm yeah. like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I doing this to myself? This is supposed to be fun. It's about the writing <laughs> of the book. You know, like, where's all this other stuff coming from? So you just kind of have to make it, you know, feel good for you, right? And, and not worry about the pressure of it. So that's awesome. So, you know, I love to ask these two questions because every author has a little bit of a different view. For you, what is the very best part of being an author? But then on the flip side of that, what has been the most challenging part? Well, as I've said, I think the best part is when someone reads your story mm-hmm. and sees it the way you, you envisioned it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. the, you know, you communicated what you wanted to communicate. Actually, on the worst part of being an author, I'm going to share an embarrassing story. As you know, I started writing romance novels and my mother-in-law read one of my romance novels under my pen name. And that was mortifying. So that kind of <laughs> got me away from all the romance novels anymore. But um, the worst part, I think, I actually... I don't find writing a particularly pleasurable experience. I find mm-hmm. it hard. It's hard mm-hmm. work. But I find I can appreciate after the work is done, looking at the story and feeling that I achieved my goal. So for me, I think accomplishing what I wanted is a pleasure. The actual act of doing so is hard for me. Hmm. That's... I'm not like a natural, like, oh, I sit down and it just, it's work for me. Yeah. But good on you for being committed and staying the course and then getting that outcome. I imagine that's kind of like competing at a Grand Prix level, oh, right? Yeah. It's like you have to work in everything. For, yeah. for that <laughs> one brilliant moment of success in the in the yep. in the ring, right? You know, it's like yeah, the glowing six right. minutes, right? <laughs> It's better than, what is it, eight seconds on a bull? That's how I view it. (laughs) Well, the whole eight seconds on a bull is like, just not get killed, right? Yeah, this is true. This is true. Well, sometimes it's like that on a horse too, though, right? Or for for real, you know, that's the thing. Horses can hurt you. And I think we've all, especially as we get older, that's something to be aware of. I had a, I had a pretty good toss a pretty good fall off of the new horse and it was the first time I think I'd fallen off in like 14 years and it really rattled me so you know it's like now that I'm a little older I I hurt for a few days oh yeah you feel it you feel it when you're 14 12 hey yeah bounce right up emergency (laughs) dismount you're flying off it's all good (laughs) but I I remember my mother okay growing up um, and granted, this was the 70s, you know, you just shook it off and got back on. Nowadays, if kids, you know, like, it's different. It's a different environment. I mean, mm-hmm. if we got thrown, we just got right back on. We didn't even mm-hmm. think about it. And looking back on it, that was really poor judgment sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that's what you do, right? Yeah. I mean, well, that's that's how I grew up. You know, you yep. fall off, you get right back on that horse. So it doesn't yep. learn that it can shake you and you're not going to oh, get yeah. back on it. You know, that's, I yeah. think that's a lot of, a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, when I fell off, like, thank heaven I was wearing my hat, my helmet, cause I hit my head pretty hard and I was seeing stars, but I got right back on her. I mean, maybe only walked like four steps because I felt like I was going to pass out, but I did. Get, I got, but... I, I think I was. Yeah. But I did get back on. And then I looked at my husband and I'm like, I don't think I can, I can ride anymore, but yep. I did get back on for at least like three or four steps. So I don't know that that was probably not wise, but that's, that's what I knew. Right. Yes. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who wants to achieve his or her dreams, like writing a book, competing at the Grand Prix level, starting a business, like what, what would be your advice to someone who wanted to achieve their dream? 
I think it's really all about perseverance. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not, you, you're not going to have, it's, what is it? You won't have inspiration without perspiration and mm -hmm. you're not going to have those, you know, ephemeral moments. Those are, those are, you know, maybe a couple in a lifetime. It's the daily grind of putting in the work that allows you to achieve your dream. And the truth is, you know, we talked about a dressage test is six to seven minutes long, even at the Grand Prix. And that's for a horse, they're getting there at 10 or 11. And as a rider, you're you're spending a decade or 15 to 20 years learning to ride those moves. I mean, so it's like, I think dressage or any other riding discipline, or to be honest, many sports that it's, what is it? The 10,000 hour rule. Mm -hmm. You have to put in those 10,000 hours to become an expert at anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, people who play musical instruments, it's all the same. You have to be willing to put in the work and, and to, in order to persevere, or unless you're just a natural born genius, when God bless you and all the success in the world, but there are few, those are few and far between. Absolutely. Great, great advice. Yes. Persistence, patience and persistence yep. is the key. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, I always like to check, check in on this too. Have you like watched or read or seen anything lately that has really inspired you that oh, yeah. you might want to share? Oh, let's hear it. Oh yeah. Okay. So, okay. I am a voracious reader. I'm on Goodreads and I track myself and I think I have a hundred book challenge this year. Oh, wow. So my mother and I always talk about horses. And as a kid, we would go to the racetrack and watch, I lived right by a, a half mile racetrack in Maryland and we'd go in the morning to watch the horses gallop. So I've always been a horse racing fan. And one of my favorite horses was Zenyatta. Do you know Zenyatta? Okay. Mm -hmm. She's spectacular. Unbelievable. So she had a half sister who raced in Australia named Winx mm -hmm. and uh, also by, you know, by the same sire. And there's a book called Winx that I just read that is absolutely incredible because I was just a huge Zenyatta fan. I just loved her. Absolutely thought she was spectacular. Did not know about her Australian sister and how unbelievable she was. And that's a story. It's also a story about the horse people with whom who impacted this horse and the horse industry in Australia, the racing industry, fabulous book. I could see it as a movie. Oh, thank you so for that recommendation. It's really good. It's a long read. It's a long read. I'll be honest with you, but it's spectacular. And, um, you know, I just, I, to be honest, uh, it was, again, my mother and I always talk horses. It was her recommendation. And I loved Zenyatta and I didn't think I could emotionally invest in another racing mare. And all of a sudden I'm just sold on this horse and I'm just there with her. So, you know, uh, did, are you a horse racing fan also? I watch it, but I'm probably, okay. I'm probably more like a triple crown, you know, okay. I, I show up for the triple crown and I kind of okay. follow what's going on. We, I, you know, we do have a racetrack here I've visited occasionally, but you know, but yeah, I follow, but I'm not like super plugged in. Like I don't look at oh, pedigree. We're junkies. We're like <laughs> bloodlines, you know, everything yeah. goes back to native dancer and if yeah. there's a racetrack in town. It's not the betting part of it. It's actually, it's usually a competition who has the best eye for a good shoulder and a good hind end. And, mm -hmm. You know, it's like, and honestly, when I go to the track with my family, with my husband, I generally win. So just say it. It's awesome. Yeah. That's I don't bet cool. much, but I pick the good horse. So, you know, you know, a good hind leg, you know, a good shoulder by the time. And if you see them all lathered up, going up to the line, they've already blown what they're going to do in the short race. So, you know, mm -hmm. anyway, so yes, love horse racing. It's fabulous. Oh. And this is an excellent book about horse racing. Excellent. Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah. Definitely. I'll link to that in the show notes so people can get to that along with obviously your books. And so, you know, you mentioned uh, your horse book series is going to be a trilogy at least yes. so, in that you're working on the third book now, but what are you curious about? Like what's next, Caroline? Well, like, what are you doing? What are you up to? 
Uh, do you mean in terms of writing? In terms of writing, in terms of, you know, I'd like to adventure this way or maybe another book project down the line. Just, and it's open-ended. Let's see. Well, I'm, I'm kind of an empty nester now, so that's a difference. So, you know, all of my kids are either gone or at college. So my husband and I are trying to get used to the two of us doing things <laughs> together at this point, which is quite a change. And we did our first vacation together, just the two of us this summer. We went to Lake Louise. That was exciting. That was beautiful. Yeah, so that's different. It's, it's having time to do things again. Mm-hmm. That's very different. So, no, like in terms of writing, there, you know, I feel like... Uh, I feel like there are a lot of stories I want to write. I feel like I, you know, I have the idea for these stories and I need the time to write them. So actually there is another horse story I want to tell that is after this one. And it's not even a horse I knew, but like, it was interesting. People will come up to me and tell me about horses that were really important to them. And sometimes you're like, Oh God, I got to write that story. You know Mm -hmm. I mean? That's just, and so, so yeah, there's, there are a couple stories I want to write. I have this one due, I think the end of next year this third book. And then I have, I have to, you know, keep going on, on my horror stories. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I, I have so many ideas that bubble up too. I, but I always make sure to write them down. So they oh, yes. don't, they the don't notebook. leave me. Yeah. The notebook yep. is so important. Yeah. So I, you know, this has been such a fun conversation. I've oh, yeah. so enjoyed having you on the show. Would you let listeners know where they can find more information about you and your books? Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm on Facebook under uh, uh, Caroline. Well, I think it's under a horse named Viking, mm-hmm. which was my first story. And then I'm also on Twitter under, I believe, Kakervik, C-A-K-E-R-V-I-K. And then I also have a blog spot. So your book is a but, books are available anywhere books are. Yeah, so- yes. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Smashwords, anywhere. Yes. Okay. I, I don't think they've been made into audiobooks yet, though. That's that's really intriguing. I'd like to go that way because I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. Yeah, there's an episode on this podcast all about audiobook production and things to consider. And it's with Brett Wilson. It's uh, maybe five episodes back. You might want to check that one out if you're exploring that. Because what's exciting is that's a new channel. And a lot of people that listen to audiobooks are kind of like how you listen to podcasts or doing that while they're doing other things. And a lot of those people don't cross over because they don't have the time to read books. So it's a whole new audience you could be opening up by having audiobooks available. And a lot of the conversations are, are that are out there right now is like the future is uh, th- going to be through our ears and audio. I totally agree. Yeah. So, so that's something, you know, especially with the Alexas popping up all over the place. I mean, a book can be going as you're moving around through the house. It's but- true. It's true. And I'm an addict now. I had no idea. Like, it's mm-hmm. just so exciting, you know, and, and actually I enjoy the voices too, you know, mm-hmm. the craftsmanship of the artistry of the, yeah. of the people reading the stories. So. Yeah, definitely something to explore. You could, you could put that on your checklist too. There you yep, go. So. That's on my list. Yes, that and the TikTok, no. <laughs> no, you're going to have an account manager for TikTok with one yes. of your daughters. So yes. thank you so much for the oh, gift yeah. of your time. And it was so nice meeting you. I look Lovely forward to staying well. connected. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. It was, it was thoroughly delightful. And I had so much fun talking with you today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, 
please let me know. Visit my contact page at curlykidcreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>